It's not easy keeping up with the bad news about climate change. Last summer, 2017-18, was Australia's second hottest since record keeping began. And after that summer was over, the records continued to fall. April 8th, 2018, was the hottest April day ever recorded in Australia. And it kept that record until the next day, April 9th. In August, 100% of New South Wales was declared to be in drought. September 2018 was the driest September on record in Australia. In 10 of the state's local government areas, day one of the summer fire season was declared in winter for the first time ever. December 2018 was our hottest ever recorded December. And all of this happened before the national heatwave of January 2019, which set a whole bunch of new and unwanted records. That heatwave gave us six out of our 10 warmest days in recorded history. In the first two, we two weeks of the year, around a million fish died in the Murray-Darling Basin. On January 15, the top 15 temperatures in the world were all reached in Australia. The next day, January 16, nine new Australian records were set. The town of Noona in western New South Wales had the hottest overnight minimum ever measured in this country. 36 degrees. Adelaide recorded its hottest ever day. Here in Canberra, we had our longest ever consecutive run of days over 40 degrees, four in a row. You've got to put that in perspective. From 1973 to 1998, Canberra temperatures never once went over 40 degrees. Between 1913 and 2006, we only had nine 40-degree days over the course of nearly a century. And yet in the decade since 2007, we've had 16 40 degree days here in Canberra. Mind you, we should spare a thought for the people of Cloncurry in Western Queensland, which recorded 36 consecutive days above 40 in the same heat wave. The bitumen roads started to melt. There are reports of car tyres blowing in the heat. To no one's surprise, the Bureau of Meteorology has now confirmed January 2019 was not only our hottest January ever, but the hottest month since records began. And the point isn't just that this news is alarming for Australia. The point is it keeps on getting more alarming. Globally, our past four years have been the hottest four years since record keeping began. Recently, climate scientists predicted that 2019 could be hotter still. They predict a high chance of another El Nino effect in the coming year, which means the Great Barrier Reef will be in serious danger of experiencing its third major bleaching event in four years. Prior to that, there had only been one comparable bleaching event in the whole recorded history of the reef. The good news, and we have some good news, is that we have this thing called science, which can tell us a lot about what's happening. And what we can do and what would happen if we did not act? We know the world is already one degree warmer than when in, before industrialisation began. We know that if current trends continue, that figure is likely to reach two degrees a little over 40 years from now. The results of crossing that two degree threshold would be catastrophic, according to the experts. 99% of the world's coral reefs would disappear. The Arctic sea ice would all be destroyed Around once every four years, we could look forward to seeing an Arctic entirely free of ice. 
a sight modern humans have never witnessed. Sea levels would rise 10, 10 centimetres by the end of the century, displacing tens of millions of people. Mass extinctions of species. The Amazon rainforest disappearing. Common extreme, extreme events such as floods and droughts becoming far more common. And some experts believe that we would pass a point of no return if we let global warming rise beyond two degrees. They believe that the Earth, having been pushed beyond that tipping point, would be trapped in a feedback loop that would cause it to keep on getting hotter no matter what. Last October, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change published a special report called Global Warming of 1.5 Degrees. As the title suggests, 1.5 degrees is now regarded as a special threshold among climate scientists. The difference between keeping global warming to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels and letting it blow out to 2 degrees is now considered critical. If we restrict warming to 1.5 degrees, catastrophe can be averted. But the world has a lot of work to do if we're going to achieve that aim. If we were to let global warming continue at its current rate, that 1.5 degree threshold would be crossed sometime between 2030 and 2052. And the catastrophic two degree figure reached around 2060. So while the goal of stopping warming at 1.5 degrees is still achievable, October's IPCC report is likely to be the last one issued while this goal is still a realistic one. If we're going to achieve it, the IPCC has recommended that global greenhouse gas emissions must decline by about 45% by 2030 and reach zero by 2050. So, where does Australia stand on climate policy? Have we been doing our bit? The answer is yes and no, but mainly no. On the plus side, I'm pleased to see that during Labor's last six years in government, thanks to hard-fought policies introduced, carbon pollution came down more than 11%. But under the current government, thanks to a hard-fought effort to avoid implementing any effective climate policies, that process hasn't just halted, it's been shamefully reversed. Since 2014, greenhouse gas emissions have been rising. And that's extraordinary. There's almost no other advanced economy in the world where this is happening. Under the coalition government, Australia's carbon emissions are projected to go on rising until 2030, which is far, as far as the projections go. If you rank us in terms of population, we don't rank even among the world's top 50 countries. But in terms of our greenhouse gas emissions, we're in the top 15. Obviously, Australia has a serious obligation to do something about this. Not just to be a better world citizen and to be a better neighbour to the island nations of the Pacific, but also as an urgent matter of self-interest, since it's clear that Australia is already suffering some of the severest impacts of global climate change. The economics are clear. We can make a smooth transition starting today. We'll put our heads in the sand and be forced to make a wrenching transition in the future. And alas, under the coalition, this country has been stuck in a groundhog day of complete inaction on climate change. It's gone on for nearly six years, and it's clear that it would continue to go on if this government remained in office. There is a wing of the Liberal Party, sadly now the dominant wing, 
that still committed to outright denialism on the question of anthropogenic climate change. We know the current Prime Minister is only in office because of a party room revolt against the National Energy Guarantee. Let me read out something that Scott Morrison said in 2009 when he was still a backbencher. He said, there are a suite of tools we need to embrace to reduce emissions. I believe an emissions trading scheme in one form or another is one of those tools. Placing a price on carbon, as the leader of the opposition has said, is inevitable. That was 2009. Then leader of the opposition was Malcolm Turnbull. We know what happened next. Malcolm Turnbull lost the leadership of the opposition over the issue of climate change and would again, in coming years, lose the Prime Ministership over the very same issue. Tony Abbott has been the great wrecker and Scott Morrison will now be best known as the guy who brought a lump of coal into question time. Fun fact, the coal was supplied by a lobby group and the parliamentarians didn't want to get their hands black when they handled it so they coated it in plastic. It's perhaps the, be the best example of successful clean coal technology. <laughs> now the strange thing about the Liberal stance on climate is it's not just grossly out of step with the science, it's also perversely out of step with the majority view in the business community. In January this year, a survey of a thousand global business leaders found that climate change was number one on their list of the gravest risks facing the planet. Of all risks, they said, it is the relation to, to, in relation to the environment that the world is most clearly sleepwalking into catastrophe. Sleepwalking in catastrophe. These are the wor words of a thousand leading global business leaders. And recent surveys of Australian company directors reach similar conclusions. There is only one major political party that is listening to the warnings about the catastrophe and has a serious plan to deal with it. When Bill Shorten launched our energy policy last year, he said something that captured how urgent the issue has become. He said the single most important thing about energy and climate policy now is to have one. In other words, we've run out of time on the question. There's no time to be left on denialism or a childish political back and forth. We've had enough years of uncertainty for industry and investors. So our policy is designed above all to be practical, to be something we can hit the ground running with. And it's designed to work even if the Liberals maintain their climate denialism after, the, after an election which was to bring us to government. It's built around two clear and achievable targets. Cutting pollution 45% by 2030 and 50% renewable energy by 2030. Both are based on Climate Change Authority advice on Australia's fair share to achieve the goals of the Paris Climate Change Accords. We're determined to reach those goals one way or the other, with or without the support of the Coalition. Now, our preference remains for a market-based mechanism, supported by both sides of Parliament, which would then give investors the certainty that they have, say, in countries like Britain or New Zealand, where Conservative governments have led on this issue. We've constantly, consistently offered bipartisanship and we've said if we're elected, then Bill will make an offer to the opposition to sit down this first week as Prime Minister to try and reach agreement about a market-based solution. As a framework for that, 
we're willing to put the coalition's own national energy guarantee back on the table. We don't think the neg is perfect, but we know that de desperate for certainty and a policy that can work, every major business group in the country supports it. And we know the current Treasurer helped to design it, and the current Prime Minister, when he was Treasurer, was a strong advocate for the neg. So even if it's not perfect, it represents our best hope for a bipartisan agreement for a framework going forward. But while we're prepared to work with the Liberals, we're not prepared to wait for them. If the Luddites on the right wing of the Liberal Party dig their heels in again, and judging by their past performance, it would be remarkable if they didn't, Labor will move forward without them on board. Back in 2012, we created the Clean Energy Finance Corporation with original funding of $10 billion. The corporation has already proved a great success in channelling funds to new clean power projects. Starting in 2019, we'll be providing the corporation with an additional $10 billion of funding over the next five years. The Climate Council has called this investment game-changing and a huge boost to renewables. Out of that $10 billion investment, a $1 billion dollars will be allocated to clean hydrogen, hydrogen projects as part of our national hydrogen strategy. Hydrogen will be a major creator of jobs in this country and a huge export opportunity. There are researchers right here at ANU working on these technologies and it's another wave of the future we can't afford to miss. And this is one of the important points about clean energy. Even if we leave aside environmental implications, clean energy is a winner in terms of jobs. If we reach 50% renewables by 2030, and that's the Labor target, then we'll be creating up to 60,000 new direct jobs in the clean energy industry through construction and installation, according to modelling done by the Australia Institute. We've also set a target of a million new household battery storage systems by 2025. To help Australians get there, we'll be providing a $2,000 rebate for 100,000 battery installations in households with an annual income of less than $180,000. The world is relentlessly moving towards renewable energy. Currently, the world gets two-thirds of its energy from fossil fuels. Bloomberg has predicted that over the next generation, that figure will flip. So by 2050, we'll be at two-thirds renewables. The only question is how long Australia will keep resisting, like an angry old man shouting at the wind. Australia is better placed than almost any country to flourish in a renewable-powered world, with lower renewable costs and better resources than our major trading partners. So renewables are the way of the future. The only question is whether we embrace that future and manage the transition as for the betterment of all, or we fight against it, as we've seen from the federal government over the last nearly six years. Last month, while Australia was sweltering through the heatwave, Scott Morrison happened to be on an annual tour of the Pacific Islands. While he was there, Fiji's Prime Minister, Frank Bainimarama, had to remind him that climate change was no laughing matter and posed an enormous threat to Fijians and Pacific Islanders. And yes, Peter Dutton, he was talking about your funny-not-funny funny joke. Whether you view Mr Morrison as a general embarrassment or a specific one in that situation, there's no doubt of what he was doing. The leader of a denialist party 
representing Australia in front of an imperiled people in the Pacific. The truth is, on that issue, he does not represent the majority of Australia's views. Last year, a Lowy Institute poll found 59% of Australians saw climate change as a serious and pressing problem. 84% said the government should focus on renewables. Polling has consistently shown two-thirds of Australians support our target of a 50% renewables target. This didn't even budge in the face of an extraordinarily outlandish anti-renewables campaign led by the Turnbull government after South Australia's 2016 blackout. To finish on a positive note, whenever I speak at schools, I am struck by the extent to which young Australians are energised and committed on the issue of climate change. They get the problem. They want to be part of the solution. They're excited by solar, by wind, by electric cars, by hydrogen energy. Labor shares that passion for building a better world. We hope that after the next election, Australia will have a government that is as committed to action as Australia's young people are today. Thank you very much.